Just stick your hands out like you want to bless Barry. Father, thank you for Barry. Thank you for uh, calling him here. Thank you for putting a deep love for Jesus in his heart. And I ask that that love that you've put in the pastor's heart would be released here to us um, for all that are called and all that you call to bring here and all the people you want to bless through us. Bless him right now and fill him again with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's been a couple months since I've been with you, so I missed you. I've been back hanging out with the kids um, because we've been, um, ever since we've decided to kind of move into a more discipling focus, um, I'm trying to just change our mentality that we no longer have Sunday school teachers. We have people discipling children. And so same thing with, with our youth. And so discipling is happening in here. I've seen that Randy's actually been breaking you guys up in little groups and you've been asking questions. So before I actually get into my message today, it's like in December, last time we were together, I had shared the verse from Zephaniah where it basically was saying, the Lord is in your midst. And basically he's a mighty warrior who saves and he rejoices over you with singing. And actually we learned that he dances wildly over us, and he actually sings over us. And um, it actually had um, someone from the church actually said, you know, it's like I think I know the Lord's song that he sings over me. And uh, I just thought, that's amazing. So if you haven't heard that song, it's like I'd say listen for that song. But any, um, it's like I, I like to get feedback. It's like have you... Did you remember that message? Have you thought more about that? This is part of the discipling thing. It's like you tell them, and then you tell them again, and you come back. Any thoughts? Because we're kind of a small group. We can have a little interaction uh, before we move into the next part. I remember it. Yay! Steve remembers? That's good. Okay, good. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. I think it may be something, a top 40 kind of thing. You know, it's like... For me, it's probably something from the 70s. You know, it's like it's, it's one of those songs. There's sometimes I'm just listening to the radio and I'm going, I think that's God singing over me. You know, and so he's, uh, he's amazing like that. Um, but thanks for the feedback. Um, this morning we continue in our series, actually Fan the Flame from 2 Timothy. And um, I want to just jump right in and look at 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 15. I'm going to read that together. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me in Antioch, and Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live, a godly, to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's a refrigerator verse. Okay, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." The first preacher that ever came to his town was stoned and left for dead by an angry mom. You see, Zeus was worshipped 
in that town, no other. There was a temple erected for Zeus just outside the city gates, and no one wanted to hear about Jesus. His dad wasn't a Christian. As a matter of fact, his dad didn't really believe in God at all, unless it was some god like Zeus. He grew up mingling with the upper crust of society. He mingled with the disbelieving intellectuals of his day. He knew all their philosophies, all their teachings, and he knew how they laughed at the idea of God. But in spite of all of this, this man was eventually ordained as a minister. He was such a sincere and godly man that he gained the respect of all the Christians in his hometown. They loved his tender heart. Often, it's easy to go out of town to visit where people don't know you and to put up a good front for a while. But he was so authentic, so real, and so honest that those who knew him best, those who worked with him and lived with him, respected him. God eventually called him as an evangelist. What was his name? Timothy. All right, very good. You guys are paying attention. The Apostle Paul, the man who wrote nearly half the New Testament, called him a brother, a companion, and a comfort. Paul used Timothy as an ambassador and gave him the most difficult jobs. When the church at Corinth began backsliding and getting into trouble, Paul sent Timothy to restore the church. When the church in Thessalonica began to face severe persecution, he sent Timothy to encourage and strengthen the Christians there. But tell me, how could a boy with a non-Christian dad like Timothy, how could a boy from the environment he grew up in, how could such a boy grow up and be used so mightily by God? What was it that prepared him to be used by God in such a great way? What was it that trained and prepared him to help so many people? What was it that guided him and helped him to really make his life count for something? Now, fast forward to March 1st, 2015. What will protect our children today? What will direct them, encourage them, train them, and tutor them when the world is competing for their hearts? What will protect our children and help them to become growing, contributing members of society who make the most of their lives, people who have hope in a very dark world? It's the same thing that protected and helped Timothy when he grew up in a world much like ours. It was the love and the guidance of a godly mother and grandmother. It was the love of a man who was not related to him that actually took an interest in him and discipled him, poured into his life. Timothy had both a family influence and a mentor outside his family showing him the way. 
I think we've got the same components here. I think that what we have here is a beautiful example of how a family and the wider church family contribute together to the training and the discipling of children, youth, and adults. I thank God from the bottom of my heart for all the people around here who have been doing that for a long time. I mean, Christine used to be the children's pastor, and because of her imprint, of the way that she loved the kids, because the way Lori Orinder and Steve Orinder actually taught your kids when they were younger, a lot of those kids are doing great things for Jesus, and they're adults today. You know, and I'm just so thankful that that discipling not only happens you know, back here in the classrooms, it happens when you take a girl out for shopping. It happens when you play horse with the boy whose dad isn't around. You know, it happens when maybe there's a kid in the church that said, you know what, I'd like to be a lawyer. Well, you know what, you ought to hang out with Bob Strohmeyer. And as he hangs out with Bob, he's, he's doing all kinds of amazing things. People slowing down enough to actually share their life with those that are hungry and wanting more. It's not that hard. It just takes time. It's kind of messy. And people, they actually make progress and then they kind of don't make so much progress. But you have to have grace for all of that. Few week, uh, actually, a few months ago, um, my niece Kylie had uh, talked to Trish and said, I need to job shadow someone, and I want to come work with you at your salon. So Kylie went there and um, had a great time when she was a big help. And then, not to be outdone, her little brother Trent said, I want a job shadow too. So he said, I want to go hang out with Uncle Barry. So he came in here on a Friday and um, helped me set up everything for Sunday, and we did pastor stuff. And, of course, I took him out for lunch and got him donuts in the morning and fed him a lot because he's a boy. Uh, but you know, it's that kind of stuff, guys, that really makes a difference. It's that kind of stuff that people did for me. That's why I'm here doing this today. So uh, that's... You know, that's what it's about. Um, some believers, uh, some actually believe that Timothy's father, who was a Greek, his mom actually was Jewish, so they kind of had a mixed marriage. Uh, but some people believe that Timothy's father died early, and I tend to believe that. And if that's the case, and you're a single parent today, I think you have every reason to be very hopeful because of Eunice and Lois, okay, Timothy's mother and grandmother, and the Apostle Paul. It's like this young man grew up in a single-parent home. It's like actually became one of the heroes of the early church. So, and, and I hope if you're a single parent, you feel the love and the support of the vineyard because we're for you. And, you know, God is with you. And, um, you know, and grandparents. Hey, if you're a grandparent, any grandparents around? All right. Never underestimate 
your influence. My mom is the only one who can actually get all the nieces and nephews to get to church because Grammy tells them so. And they hide for a while, but they eventually, you know, they can't keep on saying no to her, and so they'll end up showing up. And, and I think it's because of a lot of the prayers of faithful grandparents that probably a lot of us are still walking with Jesus today. All right. Um, hey, I want to show you a clip to, you know, to actually highlight the challenges that kids are especially facing today that's even worse than what maybe some of us grew up with. So can we show that clip? That stunning kind of kind of catch you kind of takes your breath away. I know the first time I watched that, but uh, the amazing thing about all of that is the opportunity that's there. I mean, at, like right now, literally a third of the world's population is under the age of 15, and so many of those are actually in the 1040 window. And Lewis Bush, the guy that actually coined the phrase the 1040 window, also um, coined the phrase the 414 window for that age demographic. And so that's why, you know, it's just so important for those 10 years, especially between age 4 and 14, that, you know, that we actually pour in to these kids. Because I don't know if you noticed, but as maybe those of you raise kids, it's like the older they got, the more they just started kind of not being so open unless, unless we got them. And uh, so that's... That was one of the major reasons why we kind of shifted from doing traditional Sunday school to actually having kindergarten through sixth grade all together, having people that have a teaching gift and some worship uh, doing a large group thing and then actually uh, breaking the kids up into small groups so that uh, the people in their classrooms can actually just sit with them, hear the lesson, hear what the Holy Spirit was saying to them, and actually go back and disciple the kids in their classroom. So, in a sense, it's just a lot easier to focus on what the main thing is. Um, a couple other points, um, just from um, you know, from what I've learned, research shows that most people who will ever make a decision to follow Christ will do so before their 15th birthday. In the USA, nearly 85% of people who make a decision for Christ do so between the ages of 4 and 14, but usually before the age of 18. Curious, I'm wondering, in this room, how many of you came to Christ before uh, your 18th birthday? Okay. So thank God some of you that are outside of that made it. Yay! We rejoice with you. So even that gives us hope. And so we're not giving up. We're not at all giving up on the old folks over 18. You know, we're over 15. Um, So there's hope. Um, During the 20th century, that age group between 4 and 14 was the single largest source of new believers in the American church. Isn't that fun? In his book, Transforming Your Children into Spiritual Champions, George Barna verifies that a person's lifelong behaviors and beliefs are generally developed during childhood and early adolescence. In the overwhelming majority, most of the moral and spiritual foundations are in place by age nine. Okay? 
fundamental perspectives on truth, integrity, meaning, justice, morality, and ethics are formed in this early stage of life. In the 4-14 age group, we also see the natural blending of evangelism and discipleship. It's like they just kids get saved, and all of a sudden they're like they just start growing, and, and it's an amazing thing. Um, let's see, where else do we want to go here? Barney observes by the age of 13, one's spiritual identity is largely set in place. Spiritual identity set in place by the age of 13. If we can reach children and youth to disciple them when their life perspectives and worldviews are being shaped, we'll set them on a rock that cannot easily be moved. Okay? So, all of that is just to say that's what happened to Timothy. Okay? It's like a long time ago. It's like this, was, this, this reality was in place and it really hasn't changed. And so, that's encouraging. Um, the Barna Research Group surveys dem- uh, actually uh, demonstrate that after the age of 14, that window of receptivity starts to close. Okay, Youth or teens age 14 to 18 only have a 4% probability of coming to Christ. Adults age 19 and over just have a 6% probability of becoming Christians. Now that's if you're just looking at probabilities and all that kind of stuff. The Holy Spirit can do all kinds of amazing things. But, you know, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. I'm just kind of saying that's the challenge we've got. Uh, but back to Timothy and the power of, a, of an example. And, and we're just going to close with this because I'm just going to say, okay, here was the kind of example Timothy had. Here's the kind of example his mom and his grandmother were to him. Here's the example that the Apostle Paul was to him. So we're going to unpack this a little bit. In the previous paragraphs, Paul has been warning Timothy that there will be terrible times in the last days, resulting in persecution for everyone who seeks to live a godly, Christ-centered life will be persecuted. So when fiery trials come upon us, we shouldn't say, why are these fiery trials upon me? Jesus warned you, and I think it's just going to get tougher and tougher and tougher, and now's the time to actually get tough, you know, and and, um, I don't know about you, but I've been getting more excited about heaven than ever, because I'm looking around, I'm going, it doesn't look like it's getting a lot better around here on planet Earth, so so I don't know what it's going to look like, but, but we really, now more than ever, actually need to just slow down and pour into each other, especially our kids. Well, uh, now he turns again to Timothy and what he must do, even though, uh, even through the persecution, he reminds Timothy of his own example, which Timothy had observed for many years. Paul was not bragging or boasting. He's basically saying this. He's saying, Timothy, my life is open to you. I haven't hidden anything from you. You know my life and my teaching. You've seen me persecuted, stoned, and left for dead in your hometown. You've seen me go through imprisonment, beatings, shipwreck, and other hardships. You know my life and my message. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's all about the good news. 
So after I'm gone, remember my example and continue it, continue in it yourself. It's like, I think it's time for us to just really just start saying to people, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. None of this craziness of like, don't do as I say, you know, it's like, don't do as I do, do as I say. That's craziness. That's never worked. But I think we know enough and some of us are ground enough to actually say, all right, here's how I actually walk out my relationship with Christ. Here's what I do. And you'll do well to start with that until God shows you some other things. The false teachers had twisted the Old Testament and corrupted the gospel, passing on to their disciples a perverted Christianity. But you, Timothy, no. You can be confident in your faith because you know personally the life and character of those who taught you. Now, in 2 Timothy 3.15, where Paul says, from childhood you have known the sacred writings, he's referring back to 2 Timothy 1.5, where he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So from his childhood, he's been taught the scriptures from people he knows and trusts. In contrast to the false teachers who are causing confusion in the church. We're told that Timothy's mother and grandmother's faith was sincere. And I love that word sincere because back in the day when potters made kind of a shoddy pitcher or a a bowl they would actually cover it up with wax. And then people would get it home. And you know, the sun would come out. And all of a sudden, you know, they're putting milk on their Cheerios, and milk's coming out everywhere. Because it was a bad bowl, or it was a bad pitcher. Now, good potters would actually say, that's a good pot I've just made, or that's a good container I've just made. So I'm going to stamp on the bottom of it, sincere. It actually means without wax. So that's what sincere is. It's like, it's like you know what? It's, it's, there's integrity. It's together. And so basically, with Timothy's mom and his grandma, their faith was not cracked. It wasn't covered up. It's like whenever the heat came, it didn't all fall apart. There was integrity. They, they had sincere faith, and it was the real deal. And so I'm just saying, if you find someone with a sincere walk with Christ, latch on to them like a tick. You know, best you can and learn all you can, all right? All right. Um, hmm, let's see. Don't you think we need the same thing today? People just sincere faith and people that we can trust. And All right, good. Okay. And um, here's where, yeah, it's like, he said, Paul said in verse 10, Uh, that Timothy followed him, followed him. It means to know all about, to understand, to embrace, to follow closely in somebody's footsteps. Timothy was thoroughly familiar with Paul's teaching in his life because he had spent so much time with him, watching him, and and he saw how he lived. And um, So, you know, if you're with someone long enough, you hang out with them long enough, you really know if they're just faking it or if it's real. If it's just real here, let's face it, we can put on a good face for an hour or two, but then we get in traffic. 
you know, and then we go home. All right. Well, clearly was surrounded by people grounded in the scriptures that allow God's word to shape their character. Here's what uh, Paul says in verse 10. We're almost through. But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. Those are all words that are pregnant with character. Let's unpack them. Paul mentions these six areas of his character in verse 10. His teaching was backed up by his life. His, he first mentions conduct, which means way of life. It's how I live. You should be able to look at a person's way of life and tell whether he or she is a godly example worth following. Purpose. Paul was a man of purpose. And his purpose was to be all about God's purpose. And to actually do it through Jesus. You know, it's like I've been crucified with Christ, and basically I've did this exchange life thing. So anything you good good thing you see in me, it's because I'm yielding to Jesus and letting Him out. He did everything for God's glory. Faith. Um, a man or a woman of faith lives in light of eternity. I think that's how you know if they're a woman, man or woman of faith. They just live in light of eternity. Okay, trusting that God will keep. His promises, no matter what. Patience. Godly people can bear with difficult people. Okay? And not blow their top. They don't have a short fuse. That's one of the, one of the qualifications to be an elder, is that you can't be quick to anger, because people in church can make you angry. You know, it's like there's a lot that can actually push your buttons. Uh, we're coming up... In a couple of years for a presidential election, what's one of the things you see? It's like the candidates are always trying to push each other's buttons to see someone have a meltdown, and you're going, I don't want that guy to have his hand on a nuclear button. It's like, that's not presidential. So patience, very important. Um, they're also patient to wait for God's best to come out in us. So they're patient with us, even when maybe they're pouring into us. They don't get too agitated whenever we kind of take a turn. They may slap us upside the head and say, hey, hey, love. Let's get to love. Godly mentors practice biblical love, which I would define as self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in the highest good of the one being loved. That's how I can always tell if a girl has found a, a godly guy to marry. And the, the guy will say, it's like, hey, I found this wonderful woman. I go, great. So what you're telling me is you can actually see yourself loving her even when she's not being lovable. You can actually see yourself bringing out the best in her even whenever she's not doing anything to bring out the best in you. Well, not exactly. Well, you know what? It's like, keep looking. Because if you don't, it's like, she, you know, it's like she's getting the short end of the stick. Now, the good thing is, if you've got that and you're doing that, it's very often reciprocated. Okay. Um, and perseverance. This is the grace of enduring difficult circumstances over the long haul. It means trusting God when things aren't going the way you want them to go, uh, and there's no immediate solution in sight. So, Timothy had not only an example of a mom grandma, and a mentor who had character, but he also had an example of grace under fire. 
It's like he had seen these people persecuted, and especially the Apostle Paul. First time and he came, Paul came to town. It's like, literally, I think they killed him. My personal opinion. It's like, if you're an um, angry mob and you stone someone, these people are used to stoning people. They are used to seeing a dead person. And whenever you drag a dead person outside of town, you pretty much think, I got the job done. They left him for dead. I think he was dead. Not saying, you know, it's like, put that on the margin of your Bible. It's like, but, but I think if he was dead, uh, or mostly dead, as in Princess Bride, <laughs> however the case, it's like he, I think God raised him up. And I'm just like thinking that Timothy, it's like he saw this guy and he said, man, because the thing about Paul is like, he dusted himself off splashed on some old spice, and went back at it in the same region. I love that. I'd be going, hey, i got to get out of this town. It's like, Jesus, surely you don't want me here. Do you see what those people did to me? Well, anyway, faith under fire. Um, and then finally, it's like he had examples who lived by the book. I mean, since their childhood, they were saturated in the Holy Scriptures. And of course, you read... Um, 2 Timothy 3, you know, 16, 17, about the power of God's word. I mean, these people not only, you know, read the word, but they ingested it. And the word became flesh in them. And that's what we need today. So, so there's your assignment. All right? It's not mission impossible. It is mission possible because Jesus is going to do it through you if you'll just yield to him. All right? So I'm going to have Randy... Or you, yes, even better. Just kind of come up and close this out today, okay? God bless you guys.